perhaps you all have seen this, maybe you've even experienced it, but anger is an energizing emotion. So sometimes when people get to rage, they shake um, and it, it, it fuels us to get things done. I think that's where we need to make sure we have an outlet for our anger, that even a, a physical outlet. Welcome to the Resilient Faith at Work podcast, where you will find and apply God's wisdom to your work. I'm Dr. Chip Roper, and I'm joined by Ken Kennard and Sarah Evers. We aim to inspire, challenge, and equip you to follow Jesus in the vocational dimension of your life. As we begin this episode, I want to thank our generous donors who make this podcast possible. We are grateful for your support. VOCA funders sign up to change lives by changing work. And if you like this content and want to partner with us to reach more workers, invest in VOCA. Just go to vocacenter.org give and join us today. All right, so let's talk about when vacation begins because this is a very important psychological and marital <laughs> issue. Yes, preach it. And Shauna, you should not be muted. You should not be muted, Shauna. Shauna should be part of the podcast, at least for this segment. So, um, well, I'm just, I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to go. I don't need to go first. But you guys were talking about that before we hit the recording. Well, Shauna was going to say something important, and I wanted to hear it. What was it, Shauna? When does vacation start? <laughs> well, I was going to say, it started, it used to start when I got on the plane. But now it's doomy gloomy, and so I don't think I should say. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. It's doomy gloomy? Now, now that I have a kid, I'm like, as soon as I get off the plane in Mexico or wherever I'm at, knowing that I get there safe and the plane doesn't go down. And I'm like, okay. Oh, that is doomy gloomy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's really dark. Okay. So I don't think, I don't think I should be a part of this. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important. That was an important thing to say. My Enneagram Six is coming out. It's an important thing to know about you, too. Yeah, that's right. That is very important. It's, it's, it's part of intergenerational understanding. Ooh. So, what about you, Ken? Um, my wife jokes about me um, being a very fast packer, and she would say she doesn't feel it's like it's on vacation until she's actually fully packed, and you know she's in the car and she can't turn back, that sort of thing. Um, I can actually start vacation sooner than that because I feel like packing is a really minor detail in my life. I don't have that many decisions to make and I pretty much, you know, just boom, 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 stick it in the bag for the most part. So I feel like my vacation starts earlier, like when my other responsibilities are done, like when I've left work or like my chores are done or, you know, all that preliminary stuff is done. So I, I sort of start vacation as soon as possible. So I think, yeah, uh, it sounds like you have starting vacation early righteousness i don't know if it's righteousness because i probably forgot something that i was supposed to bring oh so then it okay it's so just, then that kind of cancels out it, the right yeah it. it's not actual righteousness it's more of a false righteousness well most of them are but that's you know, <laughs> except for the righteous brothers but sarah what uh, well i was thinking i don't know if i heard righteousness so much as joy uh, in Ken, like this, this you're flexible, so nice. This flexible. You're so joy. much nicer than I am. But I didn't hear him saying there's that there's a standard to live up to or a right and wrong. He's even shaking his head no. What what I heard was he's ready to start the party and start relaxing right away. It's, he doesn't even need to get in the car, right? Put the stuff in the bag, close the bag, we're done. He's ready. 
Yes. But I still heard like notes of, and that's far superior to my wife. Oh, no. No, no, I didn't hear no, that. I, I'm not saying it's superior. No. In fact, in fact, I'm glad that she is more careful with the packing because often she's packing something for us that I didn't think of. Uh, and I wish I had thought of, but she's much more in tune with what we'll actually need. So, yeah, I appreciate the, the difference, but I'm just telling you my natural, you're asking for my natural reaction. It's to party right away, as soon as possible. And the truth is, Ken, I'm jealous of your ability to relax. <laughs> I am. So, I, 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 you're real, I really mean it. You're really good at taking breaks and really being on breaks. Um, so for me, I'm the opposite, or my default was the opposite of you. And that is that my vacation doesn't start till we actually get to where we're going. And all of this was formed for years. We used to go to Canada every summer, which meant we packed up three cats, two dogs, three kids, and all this other stuff in a minivan and drove 570 miles from southeastern Pennsylvania to this lake in Ontario. And to me, I always, like, we are going to absolutely... Packing was work. I like it, but it was work. You know, I was always one had to pack the car. It was always, you always had more. So I was always packing. And then when we hit the road, it's always like, who can get to the lake the fastest? Like, it's a whole thing. And it's all about getting there really fast, as which in, creates a lot of... As in get out of the car and get your trunks on and get in the water? No, like, we're going to go, we're going to break the speed limit as much as we can. We're going to stop... Like, oh, you know, you can hold it for three more rest stops kind of oh, thing. Like, you were that oh, yeah, kind of yeah. dad. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I, I was already feeling conviction because I already know that I'm not righteous in the way I look at this vacation thing. And, and, and it just, Audrey used to, we used to, it was like the ongoing annual, like the vacation starts when we get in the car and we're on vacation now. And so then it became, I'm on vacation now, buddy. I'm on vacation. So, and then that led to a whole bunch of other amazing discoveries but so i i i uh yeah i think the vacation starts i well now i now it's different now it's because we're always leaving from new york and we're almost always leaving on an airplane and it's like when you get picked up to go to the airport it kind of starts it feels like yeah good done so so i'm improving but there were you know we probably went to canada with our kit like we did that like every year for 15, 18 years. So, so we had that conversation many times about when does vacation start? Sarah, I'm still curious. I don't think you've really answered the question. And I'm really curious about when you guys go to Long Island, like from Philly, which is kind of a haul. Like, it's a haul. It's a six hour drive. How's that play out? It is not, a, I, I'm not adapting or adopting the Ken Kennard view of vacation because it doesn't start as soon as packing's done because it feels like the packing is never done. You got to get everything in the suitcases, get it on the car. Um, we often take our dog Peggy with us. So then we have to get her settled in the car. Um, and then we get in the car and it's, and you got to time everything with the traffic getting around New York City so you can get out to Long Island. And so there's that little game. And then there's a, there's a stretch on the drive where there are no options to stop. So we have to check in with, um, especially with our daughter, you know, make sure everybody's empty so we can make it through the stretch where there's no options to stop. Um, so I think, um, I think I, I, I come down from the, the ramp up 
to pack and get ready for vacation on the drive. Um, and as we get through some of those um, bottlenecks where the traffic jams tend to happen, as we get through those, the stress gets more and more calm. And I know for me, when we get from the two lane each way highway to the, the, the one lane road out to Montauk, that's when I'm like, oh, we're here. And so that's what happens for me. So you phase into it. I phase into it, yeah, because then you, the, the stress happens again when you have to unpack the car. We usually get there when it's dark and at night, you know, and they got to unpack the car. And so you're in between in. Roper and Kennard. That's basically, that's <laughs> how appropriate. While avoiding the doom and gloom that Shauna is living in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Shauna. <laughs> we'll get her there. She's a new mom. We'll, we'll get her through that. She just needs, a, they have medicine for that, better. Shauna. I just, first trip away. <laughs> It just takes practice. You'll do great. It is your first trip away. It's huge. That's really huge. And it's it's just knowing that everything that can go wrong, getting past that on the way there, that I can relax. Knowing that everything that could go wrong hasn't gone wrong, then I can. <laughs> Sorry, that's what I meant to say. Everything that could that could go wrong didn't go wrong. There's uh, that's some corollary to Murphy's law, so. I don't. I don't know. We'll have to do that on a future episode. Which I have a bumper. Hey, this is. I have a bumper go, sticker oh, just, just out of view that says, "If anything can go well, it will." Wow. Talk about turning Murphy's Law on its head. Well, with that that note, we're going to start our episode for today, and this is part of a new series that we will occasionally visit on the Resilient Faith at Work podcast called Overrated. Uh, which I'm not sure fits Sarah's very overly optimistic, or maybe not overly optimistic, but optimistic, uh, everything that can go well will go well. So the idea of overrated, this, from time to time, we'll just touch on a topic that is as spun as this like simple, easy kind of kind of deal, and it's really not. Like it's more, it's more nuancy, and um, like there's some truth to it, and yet the way it commonly gets spun or discussed is overrated. So today I want to talk about, we're going to talk about rage, which seems to be all the rage. And I want to suggest it's overrated. So just as we jump in, Ken and Sari, like, what do you think, when you think of, you hear about, we think of rage and rage at work, what are some immediate trends, thoughts, even experiences that maybe come to mind? Rage is anger in action. It's, it's something I'm not happy with, and this is unacceptable, and I'm letting everyone know so it's a protest. It's an emotion of protest yes. against something that's wrong. I'd say that with quotes. Yeah, when I first hear rage, I think of road rage and how it flares up so quickly and we're drawn to destructive action that has really terrible um, repercussions. And when I think of rage at work, it's that same kind of immediate flare up, unable to think about consequences, unbridled, uncontrolled uncontrollable um the image another image that comes to mind for me is fire that that anger and rage can be like a fire that just destroys everything around it it burns yeah i don't know if you guys have had what kind of experiences you've had with this but i think of some raised voices slamming doors people storming out not it's like whenever rage happens, there's almost always more work to do than was originally required to do whatever you were trying to do. Like, it just adds a whole nother layer of, of cleanup, almost. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, because not not only do you need to get the help, like, again, going with that fire um, metaphor, 
Not only do you need to get the help to put the flame out, now that flame has been fanned into a roaring fire and it's fire consumes. And so this anger is consuming not only you, but it's burning and injuring those around you. And so it's, it's, it's destroying uh, the office environment, the Zoom room, the, the, the team environment. And there's all this kind of support and help that needs to come in to, to put this fire out so it doesn't smolder flare up again. Yeah, and we talk a lot in our professional with our professional clients about team building and building trust in particular and rage just oh, it just always pushes the trust clock back. You know, it pushes you further further away from having a really great productive trust with each other. Well, there's a couple kinds of rage that have been celebrated in this post-pandemic work environment. So, the first was rage quitting. And the new one um, is rage applying. And so I thought we should talk about both of those a little bit uh, about a little bit today. Um, and so rage quitting is when you just get totally so fed up with your job um, that you you know you storm out or you just send this toxic scorched earth nuclear email to everybody and tell them how terrible they are and that you're out of here and you know. Depending on how Presbyterian you are, you may use certain choice words. Um, <laughs> Presbyterians love choice words. Um, so it's it's just this amazing. It's just like it's super intense, super. You're absolutely building burning bridges, and you're out. You know, and there's there's no conversation, no no negotiation, and you've just reached this boiling point of 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 overflowing frustration. So that's rage quitting. Rage applying is where you stay at your job and the way you vent your your uncontrollable anger is you apply for other jobs. Which, let's be honest, that's not new. That Like rage applying of just, just um, applying to any and every job that's out there. That's been around forever. Yeah, it's just been coined yeah. by TikTok um, <laughs> recently as, as rage applying. And that's why it's getting so much um, attention right now. But that's where I think that... Um, the dissatisfaction with your job or the fear of being laid off or um, the, the, your concern about the current economic environment, um, dissatisfaction, all that stuff kind of, kind of boils up. And instead of fight or flight, right, quit or fight for your job, you just kind of freeze and you feel paralyzed and stuck. And then it's just, I'm going to apply to mass application and hope that by sheer volume, I'll get called in for an interview and maybe land something better. And so it's 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 a haphazard uh, machine gun approach instead of a strategic surgical approach. Yeah, both of these are are haphazard for sure. Rage quitting and rage applying. And you're right, it's not new. Um, probably neither are new. Now they're just branded. Yes, yes. And what's really interesting, and I don't know how much we want to go there, but they're not just branded. They're celebrated. Like. Everybody wants to like share their rage quitting story or everybody wants to like pat you on the back and give you a high five because you're rage applying. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know what that's about. It doesn't, it doesn't seem very smart. I mean, we talked about burning bridges, right? Burning bridges, um, I mean, they might give you a little warmth in the moment, but you can't cross a burned bridge. Uh, right. It reminds me of um, <laughs> it reminds me of the story uh, or the experience I had when I was young. I was with an organization, and there was a guy in the organization that was younger than me. He was less experienced. I didn't like him. I thought this guy does not have a future here. But I remember there's like a voice in my head saying, "Don't, 
You don't have to say anything. You don't have to make a stink about this guy. You know, no one's asking for your opinion. Um, I ended up leaving and years later I came back and in the intervening time, he had gotten more educated, more respected. He got promoted and he was actually the director of the department. And I remember coming back and learning that I was considering whether I would be engaging with these people again. I ended up not. But I, I remember having this thought like, I'm really glad that I wasn't enraged and just like, <laughs> you know, telling everyone this guy is full of whatever, you know. Um, because it was a bridge that was now still there. And it was a, a valid option for me years later yeah. that I could have uh, depended on. And um, I think that in the in the moment, in the heat of the moment, um, one of the things about rage is that it, it kind of short circuits our wisdom uh, mm-hmm. and prevents us from making really good long-term decisions. Yeah, that's a really great point. Let's let's double click on this a little bit on both, uh, both types of rage. Rage career strategies, rage quitting first. There's been, uh, Forbes published a stat that 80% of people that left their jobs in the Great Resignation regret it. Mm. Mm. That's a 80%. lot. 80%. That's a lot. Yeah. So, so, and certain percentage of them were celebrated rage quitters, you know. Um, and I just think it, it hits at three things. There's three, three risks with this, three downsides to it. So one is um, you rage quit, so that means you're quitting without a plan. You actually may find it harder to find it, to get another job that's really good than you think. And so instead of, you know, just from a sort of strategy point of view, instead of being able to like control the rules of engagement, you just blew it all up. And now you're out there and you got to find a job. So that's the first thing. The second is I would call it reputational risk. You know, Ken, you're saying you didn't, you didn't burn a bridge and that was a good thing. And I agree. And, And that was a while ago. You know, today everything you do is recorded by somebody. Like we don't, you don't get to quit in private. You don't get to do anything, hardly anything in private anymore. Like everybody will know or it'll get around. And so like, it's like you've, you've especially if it's a digital thing, um, you've thrown out, you know, perhaps some of your worst moments that you may come to be embarrassed by or regret. And it's just out there for anybody to find who really wants to. So that's a sec- reputational risk. And then I think there's another side of this that we don't talk about too much and maybe not enough, but it's, um, it's actually a question that Peter Drucker suggested we ask ourselves, and it's how do you want to be remembered? And it, it taps into, at a surface level, maybe it taps into that part of us that wants to be, be liked, but I think at a deeper level, it taps into the sense that you know, all of us, if we could, would love to know that we, we made a positive difference in the world. And, 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 and so I think there's a sense like, how really do you want to be remembered? And... A lot. The reality is, most of our, 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 our most of our relationships, technically, all of them are temporary. Many of them will not be very long. The people we work with, and so at some point, you know, people might tell a story. People are going if they remember you at all, they're going to tell a story, and it's only going to be one sentence long. You know, what do you want that sentence to be? Oh yeah, I remember her. I remember the day she quit. <laughs> you know. <laughs> She was throwing stuff and she was saying stuff and she stormed out. I wonder whatever, like, is that what you want? You know, like, and there's a sense there. And I I think if we, and if we add in our kind of faith component, I mean, there's a sense of, we don't just represent ourselves, you know, we represent our savior. Even, even if we call it, consider everybody we work with just a terrible, awful person, Jesus told us to love our enemies. I mean, like, you know, like there's a whole thing that we're supposed to go up to that's higher. So I don't know. Anything else you guys want to add on that? Like just this idea that rage quitting is just, I mean, it's overrated. It's, there's nothing about it. In fact, it's, it shouldn't even be rated 
good at all. It's like it's it's really, as I think one of you just said, it's just it's a foolish strategy. So Christian counselors report that over 50% of the people who come in for counseling have a problem dealing with anger. And our society, our Western culture, has lost a level of civility and self-restraint. And, um, and the Bible talks about how anger moves into sin when we allow it to boil over and it wreaks havoc on the people around us and, and hurt is multiplied. Proverbs 29, 11 says that um, a fool gives vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. And I think there's, a, there's a, an issue here, uh, a biblical practice that's at odds at our modern lifestyle. I mean, look at our media, look at what we watch in the news, our politics, our TV, our entertainment, our music. Really, we, we really seem to enjoy when somebody loses control, um, but that's, that's not what, what Scripture espouses. And so this rage quitting is allowing things to build up until one slight or one more look or one more request just causes us to blow up. Um, and I, that's not biblical either, right? We're encouraged to deal with things as they come and, and, and to not... Um, and to not hold grudges against one another. And so I, I think there's some issues in our current moment. And there's also some issues that we carry with us because we're humans and we're broken. And we have these families of origin that right. don't know how to process anger well, for some of us. And it's not, we're not at all saying that there aren't things in, at your, in the, your present working experience that shouldn't make you angry. Absolutely. Or that aren't frustrating or draining the life or energy out of you. That's not the point. Oh, yeah. no. It's how you deal with it. Absolutely. Yeah, Go ahead, Sarah. Well, I was just thinking of a client I had who was really, um, she was brought into a company with a promise of a certain um, position in the org chart and a certain salary. She was hired and that wasn't delivered. And that she was told, you know, three more months, six more months. And it took over two years for the original offer to be met. And so there was... There were some promises that weren't followed through on. So there were, there were times when she had real righteous indignation about the way she was treated. But she practiced um, some habitual habits of dealing with her anger and go, turning to the Lord in prayer and seeking wise counsel and, uh, and, and waited it out. Yeah, and, and what I like about that story, Sarah, is that she was actually doing something with the anger. I mean, if yes. we're, we're all saying that rage... Uh, quitting is bad. But if there's one good thing about it, it's that you're recognizing that something needs to be done, right? Change. There's some action yeah. that needs to, something, something, needs to be done. something needs to be done. Something, some kind of change is, is what you're going for. And so I, I think if there's anything redemptive about it is that you, you recognize that. Now, what is the healthy thing to do, right? You just gave an example of someone bringing it to the Lord, you know, seeking change, maybe talk to the person in a very respectful way about what you see and looking at options and seeking um, to reconcile this or finding out a plan or whatever, certainly expressing how you feel or what, what your experience is in this seems like a healthy thing if there's a safe place to do that with the person involved. Um, but uh, so I would say at least some action needs to be taken. Let's look at a healthy way to do it. Let's look at some healthy options. Let's come back to that. Let's come back to strategies uh, in, a, in a second. First, I just want to talk about uh, the range applying trend, which is the new thing that's being celebrated because... It's not as easy to find a job, so 
people aren't leaving their job before they find another one like they were two years ago. And just like, well, just like Sarah said initially, like any kind of rage, can it, you, you're, you're checking out of a space where you can be wise and you're, you know, you're reacting. Sometimes people talk about the different parts of our, like our brain and they say you're, you're just, they, they say you're just reacting. So your reptilian brain, it's like the re, reflex uh, survival part of your brain. And um, when it comes to the rage applying thing, there's a, again, there's some downsides to it. And there's just things about it that's just, well, you're going to pay the dumb tax for doing this. And um, which is our favorite thing to say here at VOCA <laughs> and our least favorite thing to have to do. It just stinks to have to pay the dumb tax. But first of all, from a, from a, just a, just a, like a, an effective process of finding uh, a great next opportunity to move to, it's, it doesn't work. You know, it really doesn't work. And um, there was one stat, somebody was like celebrating their rage applying. It took them 50 applications to get one interview. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, that's wonderful. Like, why are we celebrating this? You know, it also wastes a ton of time. And, you know, we advocate a process where you, you, there's always this thing called information interviews in the middle of a job search process where you're getting out and you're just getting information about where there's opportunities, what company cultures are like. And it, that process is brilliant because it gets you up to speed on the t vocabulary and the dynamics of the market so that mm -hmm. you can speak with intelligence. Yeah. Well, you don't get to do that rage applying. You're just flying like you're just flying blind into this whole thing and it's the chances of you finding something that's actually culturally better are so low that it's just it's just a waste of time. Yeah. It's interesting. You, you had that 50 to one example. I started laughing because I just a couple weeks ago had a client who's a graduating senior and she had put off job search for so long that she was angry with herself. She was like enraged that she had, you know, waited until the last few weeks before graduation to engage in the job search. And her response to the rage that she felt was to rage apply, you know, and she <laughs> applied for 50 different positions. I asked her how many, 50 different applications she put in, in the matter of a couple of weeks. And she got one interview. And I said, oh, that's wow, that's, a, that's an interesting stat. And I just noted that with her and I said, wow, 50 to one, that's, that's a lot of work for one interview. She said, yeah, but it didn't go well. I said, really, oh. why oh. didn't it go well? She said, well, the person, the hiring manager showed up a little bit late and was unprepared. And I decided right in that moment, I don't want to work for a company culture where someone's going to show up late and unprepared. It's so disrespectful. And you could just see in her response that there is no, there is zero tolerance around here for a kind of company to hire me with that, that kind of behavior. And uh, it's a new hashtag, <laughs> rage interviewing. <laughs> It's going to be the next thing. <laughs> and I just, I could just see that, that this is not a problem. It's a cascade of problems that this mm. rage, this uncontrolled rage is causing. It's affecting how she mm. is in her current situation. It's affecting how she applies. It's affecting how she interviews. It is not leading to a wise, healthy, cultural match. She doesn't have lots of options. She isn't, you know... Um, being insightful. She's not being gracious. She's not being, she's not learning a lot. She's cutting off opportunities before they even develop. Um, 
and I just see that that's it's it's residual damage really mm. from this core problem of really not addressing the root issue. Well, it's interesting because I think when it comes to anger and rage, we are quick to justify it rather than accept responsibility for our anger or what got us in that position. And I think that I loved your phrase, a cascading event. I think that is it does cascade over into into other areas and other challenges because um, I, I you know I can't I can't resolve somebody else's problem, but I can identify that they have a problem and then figure out what's my problem with their problem. So whether it's rage quitting because it's a problem at work and I need to figure out what's my problem with it, or rage applying my a, another response to that, sometimes I just need to take a beat, take a breath, and figure out what is my issue with it rather than just responding, reacting. Uh, uncontrollably to it. Uh, and I think that's where, when we can take that pause as believers in tense work situations, that's the, that's where the Holy Spirit has time to act, right? When we can take that beat, take that breath, breathe a little bit, allow our brains to relax, and then make, make a plan uh, with how we want to move forward. That's really good. I love the pause. I mean, we talk about how do we deal with our anger. You know, we, sh- we shift into this, how do we deal with our anger so that it doesn't spin into rage and we end up paying the dump tax. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that pause is so important. I had, a, I had a client who kept getting himself in trouble with emails and texts. Oh, no. That he would just pop off and, you know, and if people didn't respond to him right away, then he'd get really upset about that. It's like it's rage virtual, virtual stalking or something. I don't know. But it's just crazy, like... It could kind of got into like a, I don't mean technically crazy. I just mean like this this spiral like mm. we've been talking about. And so we we joke about it now, but we got him into a mode where it's like, when you get really wound up about something, put all your devices in a drawer. Oh. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Don't send it and don't do anything with it and for 24 hours. He's like, doesn't know what to do with all the extra time he has. <laughs> because it's, it's just totally taken down the amount of drama that he's creating, and he's is much more productive and actually happy, and and and, it's, and that's why we joke huh. about it. But it's that pause idea, Sarah. I think that's so so important. I I read something at one point that it takes uh, five to eight minutes for uh, an anger emotion to run its course. Hmm. And so what I think happens is we don't do that. We don't just feel the anger, ask ourselves questions about why am I angry. And then it just stack, we stack on another thing and another thing and another thing, and, it, and that's where it builds up, and you get the, the rage volcano thing. But I think that pause is really, really important. What other, what other things have you guys seen that you think, you know, because we're not suggesting, again, that there's nothing wrong. We're just saying that dealing with what's wrong in a foolish way is just going to make your life a whole lot more complicated than it needs to be. And it's, it gets you further away from where you, where you hope to be rather than closer. But what are some other things you think you've seen with, with either your own life or clients that you think have really helped as they deal with, you know, just deep and embedded frustration? Yeah, I think I think that one thing that I um, want to point to is that what are you doing while you're pausing? So mm-hmm. you talked about five to eight minutes to run its course. When I think about the five to eight minutes for anger to run its course, I'm thinking of all the chemical things going in my brain. I'm thinking about how my stomach is just tied up in knots. I'm thinking about my adrenaline and my heartbeat and all that. You mentioned the fight or flight, like all that stuff's going on. It's physiological. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that our bodies are telling us something and our bodies could also be a path back to 
a better mindset. Um, so one of the things that um, positive intelligence, which is a, a series of techniques on this topic, um, gives us is it gives us techniques for what to do with our brains and our bodies to get us back there faster and more more um, consistently, more reliably, so that we're not stuck in that reptilian fight or flight response, but we actually can take control of those responses. So th things like focusing on what we're hearing, focusing on a tactile thing, focusing on what we're seeing and labeling it, um, breathing techniques, all kinds of um, techniques in this category of kind of taking control of your mind, not letting it control you, letting the emotions run their course, not denying that they're there, but also not letting them rule so that you're just a victim to them and you're just gonna lash out at the next um, minor provocation. Yeah, I, perhaps you all have seen this, maybe you've even experienced it, but anger is an energizing emotion. So sometimes when people get to rage, they shake a little bit or, or you know, you, you shake a little bit. And because anger is this energizing emotion um, and it, it, it fuels us to get things done, I think that's where we need to make sure we have an outlet for our anger, that f even a, a physical outlet, whether it's um, having a, 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 a pillow to punch or scream into or do a couple of exercises or go for a walk or run in place or you know, something, some sort of motion or action that you can do with your body to release that and help move your brain out of that fight or flight, um, fight, flight or freeze uh, position. I think, I think that's really helpful too. When, when it gets to that boiling place, when it goes from anger to rage, we really do need to have that, that outlet uh, because that, that anger is serving as a warning flag, right? It's serving as an alert to us that something is wrong. Maybe somebody is trying to cross boundaries with us. There's an injustice happening. So we do need to take, um, pay attention to that, take a moment to understand what's happening. Pay attention is good, yeah. Right? But, but, but we can't pay attention to that when we are moved to respond. We want to react. Um, and, and I think we, yeah, we want to, we, we don't want to be, the thermometer, we want to be the thermostat uh, when it's coming to with our anger, not just reflecting the um, what's happening, but but being in control and being able to monitor. Yeah, and I, I like what you said there, Sarah, about um, you know noticing uh, what's going on. Sometimes I I have to admit when I'm upset about something, it's hard for me to notice what's really going on. Yeah. And, um, one way that my wife has served me well is that sometimes I'll say, hey, can we take a walk? And during the walk, you mentioned exercise, she will listen to me and I will, it, it will take an, a conversation of me getting it out to even notice what am I really feeling? How, mm. what, what is this really about? And she will sometimes reflect, um, you have a lot of energy about that. Or it sounds like you feel like you've been, you've been unjustly treated or you know, she'll, she'll make some uh. kind of observation. Then I go, oh, okay. Yeah. Now, now I'm able to get more clarity. Now I'm able to get more noted. Before I was just feeling the emotions, but now I'm understanding and getting perspective. Yeah, that's interesting because anger is often, um, it's, it's sometimes called a flash emotion. Um, it's a surfacey emotion and it's, it's self-protective and it can hide other things often you know, sense of sorrow or betrayal sadness. or deep sadness, yeah. right? And so it's easier and it's less vulnerable to be angry but to be sad and to admit feeling hurt, that takes, that takes 
vulnerability. And so a lot of people never get to the emotion hidden underneath the anger. They just live in that anger state. And that's interesting because at work we don't talk about sadness. Mm -mm. But like if I took this, I left that job and I moved over here and I've got a lot of hopes built into this job. And, you know, as it becomes apparent that those hopes aren't going to be realized, there's actually, that's a loss and that's grief. But like you said, we're, we're like very uncomfortable with that with grief we don't we don't mm. want to do that at all so it feels much more powerful to express it as anger in fact what's one of the articles about rage applying was that one of the people who is an advocate says i just feel like i need to do something so this is something i can do but it's just not really a constructive thing to do so that you know that's uh, there's ways to get our heads around this better better what else what else do you guys any any other what other thoughts do you have about ways to deal with it um strategies for it i mean i mean i know just from my client conversations that i don't think i haven't really had clients that are they're yelling at me but it's it is coaching is a space where people can safely process the things that they're angry about think about the under underlying causes of course therapy is too and a really good friendships are as well but it's a space where that kind of happens and it's safe because they're not it's not going out into this circulatory system of the organization and affecting the way people see them and mm. they don't have to they don't have to like try and get out their eraser which never really works you know and because it, once it's out there it's it's out there so I, I just wonder if there's there's things like that you've seen with some of your clients where they really are upset i mean they're they're mad and yeah um and it's really not our job to say justifiably so or not but that's that they are but that becomes one of those ways that people cope with it you know, they, they talk it through somebody who's safe. Yes. I've, I've had several conversations with people who are angry, um, but that's, that's the beauty of a coaching conversation, a coaching relationship, because that is that safe place without the organizational repercussions to be able to explore what's my problem with a problem happening at work. How do I want to deal with it? What's my plan to approach it rather than having this reactive, reactionary, um, you know, knee-jerk reaction, how am I going to, with wisdom, with intention, be proactive, take responsibility for what's happening, and how am I going to move forward? What What is God telling me is my role in this situation, um, my opportunity here? So that's where coaching allows people to get through the, the, the flash emotion, to express that tension, and then come up with a healthy, active action plan forward. Yeah, I, I like that, Sarah. And when you when you get past that flash emotion, sometimes your perspective can actually shift on the situation. I'm thinking about mm. people who were in a position where they spotted the injustice and now they have a choice. Am I going to self-protect, leave in a huff, say that this is unacceptable? Or maybe I was put in this organization for such a time as this. Like mm. maybe I could actually be a part of a solution here. Maybe I could raise a red flag or maybe I could be uh, bringing truth to power in a respectful way. Or mm. maybe I could, um, maybe the organization would be okay with brainstorming ways to solve this and get their heads around it. But I don't know that if I just rage and quit. Mm -hmm. uh, I th I'm thinking of the, of the client that was uh, found some injustice at work or supposedly found some injustice, though she never addressed it, and just quit on the spot and decided that she was going to make a statement. Well, 
she made a statement, but she didn't actually move the organization forward into being a better place to work. And when I talk to people about their job, they all say the same thing. They say, I want to make a difference, right? Mm. I want to make a difference. I want to, I want the world to be a better place because I'm here. But if as soon as you're challenged or see some injustice, you leave, you might be missing out on the opportunity you just were given to make that difference if you can find some creative and resilient ways to engage. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when you think about um, part of what we've been talking about is this idea of how do you handle your own rage. Um, but that's saying there's still a, there's a, the corollary is how do you handle the rage that's directed at you, you know, and anger that's directed at you. But it's sort of the same the same principle. Um, and there's a there's a, a saying in Ecclesiastes that, about this that uh, don't hasten to leave the king's presence when he yells at you, kind of thing. Um, because he'll get over it, it'll blow over. And um, so sometimes, not only do we need to slow down and create that space for ourselves to deal with whatever's causing our anger and, and insulate the people around us from the potential toxicity that could come from just venting it all over them, but we also need that we also create the same kind of space that sometimes we're gonna run into it from others. And, um, and it's a tricky thing, you know, to figure out how long how long how long do you tolerate some of those things and, and that kind of thing but I, it's just interesting and just sparked ken what you just said just sparked that for me yeah it, it reminds me of the story of uh, St steve jobs in the elevator where he was with a, a younger uh, uh employee at apple and uh, the the employee made some mistake and uh, steve was having a bad day and he was just enraged about things and he just he says you know what just leave the company you're fired and uh so he decided to start packing his things, you know? And uh, he went to his boss and said, boss says, what are you doing? He says, well, I met Steve on the elevator and I made this mistake and he said, I'm fired. And the, and the boss said, oh, you're not fired. He said, put your stuff back. He says, we don't, we don't fire people for things like that around here. I'll go talk to Steve. And, uh, you know, it blew over, just like you said, it, it, it blew over. And, you know, I, I think that sometimes we have this feeling that our bosses need to be, uh, perfect with no mistakes. You know, they're not entitled to any mistakes. Of course I am, but you're not that kind of thing. And uh, so you just reminded me of that story. Yeah, it's, it's Ecclesiastes 10.4. It says, if the ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. <laughs> Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. Like it'll blow over, which just happens most of the time. So, mm -hmm. so it's kind of like part of this idea that we're suggesting in here is that in this, in this episode is that we need to create space for it to blow to, for it to blow over for ourselves, and we need to, as we grow, mature, we apply God's wisdom to the way we work. We're not gonna, we're not gonna rage anything. Amen. You know, we're gonna we're gonna find spaces to process our anger, and we're gonna feel it, and that's okay. But we're not gonna create a whole bunch more work and burn bridges and and so um, from it. And part of it is is creating. Some, it's good, there's a reciprocal side to that too that we realize that happens with some others and you know sometimes we sometimes maybe you have a chronically you know toxic person you can find a better place to work do it right but that initial reaction we're so fragile we just got to get out of there go it's it's kind of a you're raging on me so I'm going to rage quit well that's you know because should I say it two rages don't make a right is that, is that, is that really bad? <laughs> yeah I was I was thinking well, great Go ahead, sir. 
Well, I, Do you have I, a closing comment? I don't know. If, I don't think this is the wrap-up comment, but um, we can cut it in post if we need to. <laughs> it's time. But, it's time for the wrap-up comment. <laughs> but I was thinking. Make of, it a wrap-up comment. I was thinking about how some of us have learned to respond in anger. Uh, like we've practiced it, right? We've we've practiced mm. practiced anger, and it's become this habitual practice of responding in anger and not dealing with our anger. Um, I know that there's some like rehearsing, telling somebody off in the shower kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Or, or we've just allowed. Not that I know anything about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I certainly don't rehearse conversations in my head or rehash them or think of all the different things I could have said. I certainly you know, don't come from stock like that. No, 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 but, um, but I think just as we have practiced and rehearsed our anger, I think we can practice and rehearse godly ways to respond. I think we have an opportunity to not just focus and rehash and rehearse and habitually practice anger, but to also allow godly ways to diffuse that. And to, you know, we, we're not going to get it right all the time. And especially as we start practicing new neural pathways to deal with these emotions and responses in the workplace. But we can, with more practice and exposure and good input and good, good supports, learn a new response. Uh, and I, boy, I would love to see that happen in our, in our culture too. A, a, a move towards civility. Hey, thanks for listening. As we close this episode, I'm going to use the H word, help. First, help us help you. Do you want to grow in your effectiveness as a worker and leader? Are you wondering if you are in the right job or career? Maybe you lead a team and wonder how to make that team better. Go to vocacenter.org consult for an easy scheduling link and book your appointment with one of our great coaches today. We're ready to help you. Second, help us help others. This podcast is brought to you by generous donors who change lives by changing work through their investment at VOCA. If you like this content and want to partner with us to reach more workers, donate to VOCA. Go to vocacenter.org slash give and begin your partnership today. We'll see you next time on the VOCA podcast where we help you build resilient faith at work.